This is a Broad Pods production. You're listening to the Leaky Pipeline podcast. Welcome to this episode. Construction is much more than bricks and hammers. It's an industry for all people to work in. On this show, we sit down with changemakers to discuss the passion, the opportunities, the struggles, and the changes that they're taking to bring more people, especially women, into construction. Hey, it's me again. I hope you're enjoying this series of conversations I'm having with women in construction. On today's episode, I'm joined by Kerry Neal. She is the 2022 Nalwick National President's Choice Award winner. We chat about pros and cons about having a family connection in construction, why women feel that they need to overachieve on site in order to be seen, and why companies need to create a safe environment for their workers to be able to show up as themselves. Kerry, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Lauren. It's great to be with you today. Did you want to introduce yourself, please, and talk a little bit about your award winnings with NARWIC as well? Absolutely. Um, I started my career as an environmental scientist working in the ports and shipping sector over 20 years ago. And today I'm GHD's general manager for our South Australian business. And it was um, my success at the South Australian NAWIC Awards, which enabled me to be in the running for the national award. And while I'm now working across many sectors, I still work with those same ports and shipping clients I started my career journey with. And it was um, an amazing experience to be able to participate in the South Australian and the national awards and to ultimately be the winner. Yeah, and we're so proud of you for being the winner. You are absolutely a gun in the industry. Um, so congratulations again. And so can you talk to me a little bit about how you first entered the industry? It's an interesting journey as I, I did graduate as a marine biologist from James Cook University, um, stepping straight into the ports and shipping sector, as I said, and there's nothing easy for anybody about finishing a degree qualification in a competitive environment and trying to get a job. Um, you know, a lot of people who come through um, science tend to go into academic roles, but I always had a keen interest in working in the sports and shipping sector because really they are the hub through which our economy trades. Um, there is that piece. There's hundreds of graduates coming into the industry every year, thousands in some discipline spaces. And less than 20% of them are women in many of our disciplines that go into construction, engineering, and in, you know the disciplines associated with those. It's a real challenge to be noticed for your capabilities and to get that foot in the door. And I was just privileged that I had some great sponsorship early in my career that enabled me to start out on that journey. It's really interesting how you did start out because I think it's very different for, for most people in construction. And so how easy do you think it is for women to get into construction? It's not easy at all. It's not easy for many uh, young candidates, unless, of course, they come from a family or a cultural background where that's been the norm. It's not, you know, unless, of course, you've got that kind of, I want to go and build massive things and work with big equipment and live in dusty environments away from home for many weeks at a time. You know, those things, um, they can sound attractive and they can sound like a really hard way to earn a buck as well. So that opportunity of getting into what are really rewarding roles and opportunities to make a change, they're, they're not natural career pathways for everybody. And um, people in careers at universities don't necessarily get to see them either. So careers nights often have 
consulting firms and property groups coming along and talking to them about career opportunities, that, you know, the dating game that can go on at the start of your career and who you actually join can be really informative for where you end up. And it's a hard road to try and make that choice when you're so young and looking to make your first inroads into what will ultimately be your, your career path. And as you said, a lot of people don't actually know about the industry. So unless you've got somebody that you know of or that burning desire to work on heavy machinery, you know, um, you wouldn't actually step into the construction industry. So it's definitely a barrier for our young women to understand what construction is. I mean, it's not just hammers either, you know, so there's a, a whole range of roles. I think and, there's, there's also a piece there, Lauren, if I could just build on that, which is yeah, sure. Um, some people who do have families in that environment don't want their kids going into that environment because Ooh. of the lived history and the experience they've had in those roles. And so there can actually be a steer away from career choices um, without necessarily seeing the shift that the industry's making. Yeah, and I've seen that as well and I've heard about this. A lot of um, men and women that are in construction will say, no, I don't want my daughters or sons going into construction. So can you tell me one of the biggest items that you've noticed um, that has changed since you've started in construction? If you look back and you could take it back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, however long you want to go back in time, um, there was a real overt male dominance camaraderie and uh, women coming into that space often felt the need to overachieve and just to be seen and be appreciated. And there's also that um, tension on how much that actually, you know, site work and other things impact upon personal life and the discrimination and the conflict that might occur in those spaces as well because they're often, you know, in male-dominated environments in remote locations or um, in isolated workspaces. But a lot of those things are the things that I've just mentioned were in the past and some of those things have really shifted. Um, and we are looking at how we can actually change our workspaces irrespective of whether they're remote or, you know, centralised in towns and cities into those environments where it's not just... Um, you know, the male-dominated situation. We do have work practices that enable people to have less of an impact on their personal life, even if it is in a FIFO situation. And, it, you know, you don't have to be overachieving constantly to be noticed and everyone should be seen for the capabilities that they're bringing. I also do feel like we've got some work to do and we do hear about um, people not getting access to mentoring on an equitable basis and so that sense of still needing to overachieve to be seen and a sense of exclusion from the camaraderie on site, um, those, are, those are elements where we probably need to take a little bit more intentional action. And also that piece that we've already spoken around about having roles to observe so that we can see who are successful in roles. And it's not just at the start of the career, it's not just at the end of the career, it's the whole way through the journey for those people. And um, that's one of the reasons that I like to show up in these conversations because I like to share with people that um, it's the things that they do every day and to share their stories to encourage that others can be saying that their journey is important and it's also important for the success and involvement of others in the career that they've chosen. And I love that you've touched on the stories part because um, the first thing that we say at Nowick is that you can be what you can see. So sharing stories will help people to see that but also that career pathways that people are lacking, they can't actually see what they're going to do past, you know, if it's a woman in trade, she can't really see 
what she's trying to achieve after that or where her career path will take her. Um, if she wants to stay in, in trades, that's absolutely fine as well. But just seeing the different places that can take you, I think is really relevant and really important for people to to stay in the industry, um, which is a, a huge issue for construction at the moment is that retention piece. So we hear a lot about misconceptions and sometimes they're mistaken as barriers. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you believe are misconceptions and what are definitely barriers in construction? Sure. And I guess there's one misconception I'd like to call out, which is the physical capability. Um, you know, there's we talk about yeah. big machineries, big tools, um, and, and you know how I'm not going to be able to do that task, you know, only five foot six kind of thing. Um, there are very few jobs in the world that specify an actual physical ability over a person's capability. And we need to make sure that anyone has the right capability to work safely on site and in a construction environment. To use our heads, not our muscle. So that piece around physical no. capability, I think, is one of those things that we need to just, you know, um, put into the back room and never bring out again. Um, I'd say there's been a shift on that and, you know, people are now seen for their their technical capability, their problem-solving skills, their trade, whatever that might look and sound like, and how well they've succeeded in, in completing that trade and the experience they've had along that journey as well. So that's that's been a great thing, but I you know, just want to make sure we, we don't divest ourselves back to thinking about physical rather than capable. Um, I'm going to get to a, a delicate topic and... Um, let's do it. You know, let's talk about menstruation and childbearing. These are physical attributes that women have that not everyone in the population has. 50% of the population has them. They don't denigrate our capability at all. And, um, you know, I started out early in my career on, on remote sites in boats, and often those were small boats. And that was kind of like, oh, yeah, you hear this kind of conversation going on, or she kind of go to the toilet. Um, it's like, you know, we're actually quite capable of working that out for ourselves. So don't discriminate my opportunity for a career opportunity and an experience just because you think I'm not going to be able to operate in the environment of the site. And if that's the case, let's have a conversation about it instead. It's fix the environment. <laughs> you can fix the environment, right? <laughs> Rather than the person. <laughs> it's not the person. Um, it's also, you know, there's that piece about emotions in the workplace and I can bring heat to a conversation but it's probably because I'm very passionate about that topic and I'd invite someone to lean into why I'm passionate about that topic and not just to dismiss it because I might be hormonal. Um, uh, you know, invariably women might have been in the past sort of given a bit of lip service around the heat in the room, oh she'll be okay tomorrow kind of thing. Um, actually there's a reason to have heat in the room and let's look at the reason, not the person who's bringing the message. Um, that would be a good one for us to make sure of in future. And uh, there are all sorts of other things as well. And I guess um, there is a bit of a misconception. This is a strange one for me um, because I do actually identify now openly as a queer woman. And I didn't bring that into the conversation in the workplace for a very long time because I was concerned about the discrimination that I was going to be subjected to. And it's an odd one because the discrimination is in both directions. Oh, of course you're gay because you're actually capable, right? Versus, no, that's interesting. you know, then there's the discrimination that you get with some, you know, people 
not feeling comfortable with your own personal choices and, and your own personal behaviours. And that's fine. I, I gave up a short while ago um, making their discomfort my discomfort. But there is a piece that, you know, not every, not every female that operates in the construction sector is gay, you know. <laughs> Let's let's not let's not assume that from the beginning, um, particularly if they're competent. Let's not make any assumptions about people's personal lives, and let's invite them to share that with us in a way that they feel safe to do so. Oh, I hundred percent agree. And I would like to touch on a, a little section there. Um, you talk a lot about what women can bring. So, can you talk to me a little bit about the special difference um, that women bring to the industry? There is a lot of thinking that goes on in complex environments and where we have a group of people who have all come through the same qualifications or degree, all had the same lived experience and have not done things in any way, shape, form that is different at any stage of their life that doesn't enable us to bring the best complex thinking to any problems that arise or any solutions that are needed because sometimes solutions aren't generated from problems, they're actually generated before problems exist. So if you get a a cohort of people who all have the same gender around about the same age with the same degree qualification who have all been given the same career experience in the same manner, you don't have any diversity. So what women can bring to the equation, or non-binary people uh, as well, is a different background, a different way of thinking about a problem, different lived experience. We've had different um, upbringings just because. We've also been exposed to problem solving in different ways. You know, I've got a brother. He gave me challenges through my childhood that (laughs) I've had to problem solve. I'm sure they're not challenges he had to problem solve. So <laughs> there are there, there's just diverse ways of thinking that we add to the equation and it, it enriches the solution and the, the lived environment in which we're working as well. You know, humour. We all see humour differently, um, but it's a, it's a great place to work if you can actually bring the humour in a way that's non-gender discriminatory. Yeah, amazing. And um and you touched about when you when you came out as a queer woman, and that was quite later on in your stage in your career. I wonder what you would say or what advice you would give yourself before you worked in the industry. Would there is there any changes that you would have, have told yourself? I can land on something that somebody else shared with me really early in my life, and I should have listened to it at the time. It took me a little while to actually go back to it and listen to it. And it was like, what other people think of you is none of your business. Don't waste any time and energy on it. Now, it seems to be a little bit um, too broad because you should actually care about how you show up for others and bring your best self. But I think the, the intent, because the conversation was around my identifying as a queer person and how I felt about that, what the person was intending to say to me was, don't let how other people feel about that affect how you show up and bring your best self. And it, it's tough. It is absolutely tough when you are feeling like you're being discriminated against. Um, and I've had, you know, longevity of career now that I've had a bit of lived experience that I'm drawing upon there. But I want to make sure that other people can see that 
that's not a lived experience that we will continue to allow in the workplace of today and tomorrow and that we are all working to make sure that people can show up as being themselves in the workspace at all times. I think that leads me to my next question, which is around uh, the construction industry having such a poor reputation and mostly in relation to the treatment of women, let alone being a queer woman in construction. So it's a, you know, a minority of a minority again. What's been your experience? A very mixed experience. Um, Some workplaces and spaces have been uh, very accepting and inclusive and you've felt that from the moment that you walk through the door and others have not and you've also felt that from the moment that you walk through the door. One thing that I'd just like to call out here as well, Lauren, is that Plenty of young men have also been subjected early in their career journey to roasting and negative experiences when starting out in the workforce as well. I think the difference there is the word induction, right? The induction roasting that they might have received. Um, They've then been accepted into the fold and into the cohort if they just took it like a man. Um, And that's not necessarily experience on all sites today, but it was definitely experience on many sites of yesterday. That discrimination and negative behaviour wasn't something that women were then actually inducted into and they couldn't necessarily show up every day experiencing that same behaviour for their entire careers without it wearing them down and wearing down their resilience and without having um, a diverse group of people around them who all looked and sounded the same, there wasn't a great deal of support either. No one to turn to and no one to ask, is this okay? Is this what we should actually be putting up with? Um, So I'd say there's been a real shift as well. We've been bringing it out into the open, talking about what is acceptable and unacceptable behaviour, and that's been a huge benefit. Organisations are now putting into place policies and practices that support our ability to eradicate those kinds of behaviours and to make sure that our cultures in workplaces are welcoming and inclusive and that untoward behaviour is dealt with very seriously. And I love how our male champions of change are now calling things out that they see in the workplace so that the women don't have to be the only voice of reason in this conversation. Uh, Our male allies are amazing, aren't they? You know, calling it out instead of being stuck in that bystander effect is what's going to change the culture and change the industry for the better. And you also touched on the early stages of, of men in their careers. And I still feel as though we have a long way to go in that section in that sector for our young men as well because the suicide rate in construction is not okay it's not acceptable so there is something that is definitely wrong with the culture or there's something going on there and so it needs to shift for everybody so do you think some of the challenges that the construction industry has are limited to construction or do you think they're in society in general? I wouldn't say they're limited to construction, but I would say that because our workforce is one of the few with an ongoing heavy bias towards male prevalence, it's one where issues may take longer to resolve because we can't see them. Without women in the workplace, how will organisations be able to validate that they offer an inclusive environment? and can take account of diverse needs. And then you look at construction sites. You know, work sites can be remote, they can be isolating environments. It can be a lot harder to see and call out things that are not appropriate 
and address them in a positive way. And as we've already mentioned, you can't be what you can't see, but you can't change what you don't know about or that you don't understand. And I would do a bit of a call out to our leaders about getting out on site and walking amongst our teams to see how the culture really operates and seek to understand what changes need to be made. That's great advice. And it kind of leads me to the next question. Is there any other advice you would give to business leaders um, so that they they can consider before they hire women? Yeah, there's a great opportunity to look for potential, not just experience. Um, I would say one of my constant bugbears when somebody presents a subset of candidates to me and they say, oh, all of the females were screened out on the basis so it's not as much career experience. My challenge question in reverse is, is that because they haven't been given an opportunity to interview and haven't been selected for career experience? 100%. So we do need to look at potential. Um, We also need to, as I've already talked on, if someone doesn't look and sound exactly like everyone else in your workforce, test your unconscious bias on the value that they'll bring into that space. They may be exactly what your team needs, not more of the same. But I'd also suggest we have to be very mindful of the culture the existing team might have and what support any new employee, irrespective of gender, might need to onboard into that workspace with ease. And there's a piece which we hear about as well where Men are often referred to as driven, but women are referred to as aggressive. Men are referred to as leading, but women are referred to as ambitious. Driven people are just that. They're just driven. What if somebody seems overtly driven and overtly ambitious? Why is that? Is it because they feel the need to show up as overachieving? And if they do, is that because they don't feel like they've got permission to show where they don't understand or they might fail? And are they feeling accepted and seen and recognised? What do we need to do to show them what we need from them, what our expectations are, and how do we recognise and reward them when they show up? Not everyone wants to be recognised and rewarded in the same way as well, and I think we also need to take that into account when we're looking for a diverse workforce. That's some really great advice. Um, And I can see that you would be an amazing leader to work for, can you talk to me a little bit about why, what you love about construction and, and your role in particular? I get to touch a lot of parts of <laughs> uh, the sector, which is, you know, I like being involved in many different facets. Um, so I love the fact that my role gives me the permission to do that. My core technical base, I get to work with some amazingly talented people to make sure that we have a sustainable use of our natural assets, the way we interact with them in the shipping and transport space. Um, Also to take regard of environment, cultural, social values and drive the dial on climate change and achieving ESG objectives. But I also get to borrow so many excellent ideas because I'm across so many different facets of the industry and I can borrow them and take them from one part of the industry into another part to drive change. And if a challenge in one sector has been dealt with somewhere else, it'll be resolved much faster than they're going to do it themselves. But if it's systemic and it's across all facets of the industry, then we need to come together and collaborate on a solution for that so that we're actually solving things together. And so tell me why you stay in construction. What, what keeps that fire in your belly? There's just such a great feeling when you can walk past something that you've been involved in and show people what that looks like. And you can say, I had something to do with that. 
that is now improving the lives, the economy, the environment, whatever it might be. Um, to see something come up out of the ground or, in fact, go under the ground, as the case might be, um, <laughs> is, is just so amazing to have a tangible product in that regard. And I love being involved in those kinds of projects. Um, but as these days, I'm not on site nearly as often as I previously was. And I'm not necessarily at the coalface of some of the challenges that others experience in that space. Um, so I do like to get out there and walk around as much as possible. But it, it does give me that privilege of, you know, still seeing across many of the different things, the big things that we're working on, the big challenges that we've got. But I also then get to work with so many amazing people who are now at that coalface. And what keeps me here is I love what I do. I love that. I absolutely love that because um, we can see in construction, uh, our number is stable. It's not actually increasing. It's not really decreasing. Um, so we are seeing a lot of women coming in through the pipeline but they're leaving just as quick as we're getting them. Um, so for you and that that fire in your belly and what keeps you here is amazing. And I hope that other women that listen to this and anybody that listens to this can feel a sense of, you know, this is a place for women. We belong in construction and there is a whole range of roles that they can stay in. Um, and it's, it is a fulfilling career. Um, and so what would you like to see happen for women in construction and construction in general? I think my idealised future for us is a state where our workforce represents all of our population across all roles and that it's not just about gender, it's also about culture, abilities, ethnicity, generational learnings and valuing the contributions of a diverse workforce in bringing a future lived experience that benefits everybody in the population who interact with what we design and construct, not just the male-dominated cohort. Um, that that diversity, you know, we talk about it at the moment and the time when we don't have to talk about it because it just is, is the future state I'm really, really excited to see come to life. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to think on how Designing buildings will take account of well-being. Biophilic movement's a great place to start. But it's also going to be simple things, simple changes that matter, like the inclusion of toilet facilities that meet the needs of everybody, including those who identify as non-binary. Um, as you've already mentioned, we have a huge demand on our construction workforce to grow, and we're static in the female sector at the moment. But if you look at the future infrastructure projects being considered just in the next 10 years alone, we need to be bringing people into this space. So how can we be reskilling and repurposing people from other environments that are going to come in and do some amazing work on some amazing opportunities that are really once-in-a-lifetime projects that are going to change how our cities function into the future? And I think having a, a future state where we don't have to talk about diversity anymore is just going to be a great outcome. Oh, it would be great. And now it would cease to exist if we get to this point, uh, which is our goal. Um, and so I think you, you touch on some really beautiful things in there and you've already spoken to me about what business leaders should be doing for women in construction. Do you think the government should play a part in, in boosting women in construction? And if so, what, what do you think they should be doing? It's a really interesting question because where does the responsibility sit for ensuring that opportunities for employment 
are available and that workplaces are safe and inclusive and retention occurs because we see a static line. Um, government have put forward some recent announcement on workplace policy changes relating to key drivers like respect of work and secure jobs, better pay. I think they are great initiatives that are going to drive change through industry that might have been standing still. I know many sectors have been moving, possibly slower than they could have been. Um, and it's going to it's going to require organisations to really be able to demonstrate compliance, evidence their understanding of an action on any elements in their businesses that aren't in accordance with those policies. So there are some good changes in play and it's going to be interesting to see how they roll through. But I also think there's actually a layer down from government which we need to take some deliberate intentional focus on. Plenty of industry bodies that I work with um, don't have policies like this touching them. It's an opportunity for additional effort and shift. And I go to network events where I might be the only female representative at the round table or the boardroom. And that's sometimes because my male colleague who was invited couldn't attend and asked me to go instead. That's a shift that needs to happen. We need to call that out and make a deliberate change at who we're inviting into the thought leadership space, into the boardrooms. That leadership demonstration from the top of our industry, not just at the employment stage of our industry is also where organisations are going to be able to affect great change. And you um, you spoke a little bit about um, making sure that sites and, and workplaces are safe and inclusive. What do you think is needed to actually make that change? So how will we make it safer, happier, um, start to remove this st- stigma that c- construction has? What do you think we need to do to change the culture? With stigma, you, if you need to be able to see it, you need to be able to name it, find out how it came to be and address the root cause. And, you know, that can take a long time or you can just throw some energy at it and it shouldn't take a long time. Um, plenty of organisations are doing work around trying to understand what the cultural shift for themselves might need to look like. But they're not necessarily talking about that. Um They might not even be talking about the journey that they're on. They might only announce the destination on arrival and achieve, you know, an objective and go over the LinkedIn post around how they've achieved an objective. I think it's more important that we start sharing the journey, sharing the things that are shifting incrementally, demonstrate the progress the industry is making. And that's what's going to matter to those who are looking ahead at what future workforce opportunities they may want to invite themselves to entertain. We can't pretend things are perfect and we shouldn't dwell in the past, but there are a lot of positive work experiences that we can share and how we've improved over time and invite the next generation to be involved in creating something better for the future as well. I love that. And so at NARWIC, we talk about a leaky pipeline because we've identified that it's not just about getting women in, but it's also about retaining and growing our women to keep them in, in construction. So with that comes a whole range of things we talk about, inclusive of, of things like menopause policy. Um, Childcare is, is a huge barrier for women um, and men in construction because, you know, we all, have, you know, a lot of people have children. Um, so how do you think we can stem the leaky pipeline to attract, retain and grow our women? Some of it's about having these kinds of conversations um, to show that shift is, is happening and invite people to come into that space. Um, but there is that retention piece. So 
shifting workplace environment policy practices that enable both parents to have equitable parental leave and to balance the responsibilities of having a family, making sure that we are calling out discrimination when it occurs and taking action on it and not just hiding it and pretending it didn't happen, and to work on the things that we need to be working on in an overt manner. And we do have to champion the opportunities for people in this industry across all sectors because we can't hope that the population that's coming through high school today is actually going to answer the need of the construction workforce tomorrow. We're going to have to bring people in from other sectors. So that opportunity to repurpose and reskill people. And one of the questions I asked was what's happening with all the people who are retiring out of the defence forces who've got fantastic trades and practices? Where are they going? Yeah, where do they go? You know, a workforce that we need to consider and how would we collaborate with the defence sector around providing career pathways for people who might be, you know, returned service league or people who are coming out of, you know, their service and want to move into the next stage. They do need to think outside of the defence landscape. What do we need as a bridging piece for them? So there are many opportunities to bring people into this workspace but there's no point in employing people if you can't retain them. So we do need to look at the root cause on retention. And in women's experience, that does mean we have to address some of the work environment in a different way. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. Again, the retention piece is a huge problem for the construction industry. There's no point in getting anybody in construction if we can't retain them. Um, so we need to start thinking differently and, and companies need to start putting specific policies into practice, but actually not just the policy side, actively doing what we've said we're doing in that policy. Um, you know, our leaders showcasing that, yes, I'm going to pick up my my children today, for example, so that it gives people the permission to do it themselves as well. When you see change from the top, it filters down and, and we really need our leaders to start showcasing that, I guess, in their in their companies. Kerry, We've seen in construction that there are some women that, you know, have to do it tough. Obviously, it, it is the construction industry. It is a male-populated um, sector. And what we can see is that some women don't actually, you know, their, their thought process is, well, I had to do it tough, so you're just going to have to do it the same. And I don't see that at all with you. I see you're one of those women that want to break down these barriers for other women because you don't want them to do it tough. What are your thoughts around that? Thanks, Lauren. That's a really um, deep question. And I don't feel like the people who are coming through behind me or around me and those who will accelerate past me should have to suffer the same struggles that others have had to. I haven't succeeded just because I've been through struggles. I've succeeded because I've had people support me along my career journey and help me through those as well. Um, I definitely hear about how there are not many role models for people to observe and it's important that we do shine a light on those people and see that success is possible and also sponsor people to be their best selves and bring through their own career experiences. I'm not suggesting I am a role model, but it's one of the reasons that I show up doing more than I just do in my day job and invest time in talking about things like we're doing today because sharing my story might encourage others to see that their journey is possible 
their involvement, their contribution and their success matters. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much. I, I've loved speaking to you today, Kerry. And um, I guess I have one final thing that I want to ask from you. At Week, we're asking people to pledge their commitment to women in construction and what they're going to do. So I would like, love to hear your pledge of what you're going to do in the next year to help attract, retain and grow our women in construction. My pledge probably starts, Lauren, and thank you for the privilege of being able to share this. Um, the same as it's been in my career to date, to call out discrimination, to find out how to improve tomorrow's workplaces and spaces for those that are coming through so they don't have to deal with the same challenges I did or that others have. But the additional pledge that I have been granted as a gift from Narwick is to bring my voice to a wider audience and I do feel the responsibility of making sure that I open up the conversation and be available to people to share my journey so that they can see what's possible. Oh, thank you so much, Kerry, for your time today. Just an amazing human all round. I, um, I, I just I adore you, actually, and, and seeing you the other day in South Australia really showcased why you, you are where you are and um, and all your achievements. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for everything that you do for Nalwick and for all women and men and anybody in construction. Um, thank you again for joining me. My pleasure, my privilege. Thanks, Lauren.